everybody, this is Tavo DRC, Dr. T, and we're here with Tavo DRC Creative Leadership, which is also DFW Leader Ministry Fellowship.com. And we're up here after we've moved to the ARC up here in South Carolina, North Carolina, Fort Mill area. Charlotte Fort Mill. So we're trying to be diverse, we're trying to get the country excited and enthralled about the Lord and see what he wants to do without us any competition or rivalry or orneriness, witch watching, accusation, gossip in ministry, and then fault finding. And so people now that are so um, used to being in the comfort of the last 30 years, 20 years of teaching when it's all pretty easy, you know, PC and also the new don't hurt anybody and, uh, sweet baby Jesus is the only kind of Jesus, birthday gifts and all that, we want to say that now it's time to see Jesus as the adult. You know, you've heard about millennials and adulting. It's time for adulting now with ministry. And I mean respect, just plain old respect, not to get anything off of anybody, not to put your will on anybody, but just to say, let's try to get along Ephesians 4, community walking in meekness and lowliness and long-suffering, enduring to keep the body in peace together, all parts of the faith that believe Jesus, the common doctrines of Ephesians 4, and all races, colors, and tribes. And we're going to have to really keep our head down so that nobody's going to take it off, but we're going to have to keep our head down to keep humble and to keep ourself in line and keep ourself at work to think our business, the Lord's business, nobody else's. And that's what I'm trying to do. I like to think of positive things. Let's try to keep it more positive and healthy. Jesus has already died. He's already paid the victory. He's already seated at the right hand of God. He's got all the power. He's the positive prophet of an apostle of the church. And all the churches, he's over us. The rest are his co-laborers in pockets and tribes and different pet doctrines and so forth of the faith. When we look at the Messiah Christ... He didn't come to be down and out, downtrodden. He came as a lowly servant at one time, Isaiah 53. But if you look at the prophecy of the office, of the global office, worldwide office of Jesus Christ, the prophet Messiah of the church, the prototype apostle, chief apostle, in Isaiah 11, 2 and 3, it describes his nature and his character. And that's what we want right now for the in time for the offices in Ephesians 4, the transforming offices that have heard the voice of the Lord, the word of the Lord, and can do the work of the Lord as co-laborers with different kinds of fields of niche expertise and tribes, which is my kind of thinking, niche work, niche, nobody in competition, we're completing all colors. So Isaiah 50, excuse me, Isaiah 11, 2 and 3 says that the Messiah, Christ, would come with all of God's seven spirits, which would be the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of might, the spirit of power, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of fear of the Lord, and all that wisdom and knowledge. And that all the, and the fear of the Lord, can't forget that, that all of those Holy Spirit power, the book of Acts, Acts 2, inside one Messiah, without speaking in tongues, 
we can all ask for that and ask for more power, more might, more wisdom, more counsel, even if you never want to be speaking in tongues. You still got the book of Acts. You can train it like that with and without just to get it on. Isaiah 11 and 2. All right. That's the seven spirits in verse 2 of the Messiah with no ego, no form, just sort of being led of the spirit <laughs> in a Middle Eastern earth suit, Jewish Sephardic Jew. So it says that Christ's temple, the Messiah's temple, his outer court, his face and his body and everything were not anything attractive. It wasn't like a magnet or like, oh man, he looks so handsome. That's what may, everyone wants to think. Some people do, but it's really without it. He's the opposite. So is Apostle Paul. Downtrodden, didn't look the type. Didn't look the type. That's the secret right now. All right. When we look at Isaiah eleven three. We can see that Christ had all of the imbued Holy Spirit, full magnitude for every office, for his miracles, wonder-working power, but without the ego, beating anybody over the head, dogmatism. And he wasn't a super spooky, spiritual, prying seer with his gift. How do I know? Verse 3 of Isaiah 11. It said, that prophet with all that power and skill amazing power, Holy Spirit, eternal power, Pentecostal power. Prior to Pentecost, he had, he would delight himself in the fear of the Lord. It would make him sharp of discernment, accurately sharp of discernment. That's what people want to do and want to be like, especially if you have the prophetic movement gifts, you know, to hear for the church, to hear word of the Lord. So his seven Holy Spirit power gifts power packed in there and delighting himself in the fear of the Lord altogether. He delighted himself. It made him sharp of discernment. That is so cool. The second thing in there, two more things. It says with all that power and skill, seerish skill that it would not make it, he would not judge by the side of his eyes. That's Jesus. That's the prophet Jesus we want. He would not accuse or judge far off sitting in a field. <laughs> he wouldn't see somebody walking by and scan him and say, looks like a devil. <laughs> he might see it because he did have, you know, he was the eternal father. The word of God in creation made flesh, but he didn't have this big, he didn't have a big enthroning Jezebel type ministry. <laughs> what is Years ago, decades ago, when I first, as a former Baptist, as a natural Jesus person, vineyard kind of person, I found that found me the spirit of prophecy, but it wasn't the spirit of prophecy, it's what's in it. So I never knew all these teachings and laborious discernments of, and I'm not, I'm not, sometimes it can come in handy, but what I noticed. What I got out of it for the last 30 years was a lot of it is putting, building faith in movements to see it. And as a person who also is in Word of Faith for like 12 years, you know, learning that, just learning about it, I realized there is a principle of faith that you can have faith for good and you can have collective faith in a ministry to draw things that are not good if it's unhealthy, wrong doctrine. So we're not putting anybody down, but we're cautioning you to make sure you're not. I When I would go, when I first discovered this and whelp in the late 90s, and I saw movements and I saw the 
concentration of books that were sold about Jezebel and the teachings and all this type of thing, of course, I evaluate and I thought, you know, a lot of it is, and I've thought of it since because I've been in Florida and North Carolina, you know, Virginia and all Dallas. The word comes, it came to me that a lot of this, a whole lot in certain parts more than others, can be enthroning Jezebel. That means they put so much stock in it, so much faith in it, so many teachings on it that the group gets <laughs> seared. <laughs> Sincered. Seers that are sincere. <laughs> Sorry. So, but we want to be loving. That's the main. Loving, but not accusing. That's it. So when I think of the, um, I think of this verse today. I think about the positive power and of the, the positive discernment that we can think of in the New Testament form of a Christian office. Prophet, seer, teacher, a trainer, evangelist, all five offices, okay? So I think of the word, my sheep. It is written in John. It says, my sheep, his sheep, Jesus Christ. People have asked him into their heart, asking him to be their savior. They're born again. They deposit the Holy Spirit. They can nurture that, grow it, learn about it, and he can be a, a guide inside. Your GPS not a hundred percent rockets, you know what I mean? It isn't like that that specific, but you can get a inner peace that he'll guide. So one of the scriptures I started on when I was in starting to grow like this back in college was the scriptures to claim. You claim scriptures that God can build that in you, anoint you from the inside out by using the word of the Lord. So one of them was, and it came to mind today, my sheep will know my voice and the voice of the stranger they will not follow. Now, what are the voices of the stranger? He can have one voice, many voices. And I say that because Apostle Paul mentions in, I think it's 1 Corinthians 14.10c, it says, there are many voices in this world and each one has significance. So that's a part of a verse but when you really analyze that one little part it's amazing there are many voices in this world troubling voices news voices mama's voices memories voices daddy's voices echoes of past voices and memories and nightmares and dreams counsel teaching bible stories all sorts of things books so when we're oh in cell phone messages emails i guess could count because they have a tone on the email. So there are many voices in this world, and each one has significance. That means each one can get to you lightly, heavenly, for good or bad. So some can demean you. Some can leave there a scar. So we want only to be led by the Holy Spirit to the voice of the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ, is... He gives life to his sheep. That's the fruit. The good shepherd, the fruit of a good shepherd and a good pastor or preacher or somebody would also want to give life, life more abundantly. That didn't mean you don't confront soberly issues and rise up for injustice like training against racism, which I do. But you also keep that, you know, the, the 
picture on in your heart of balance. So my sheep shall know my voice. That's one you can claim. All right. If you once you invite Jesus into your heart, he can help you get directions, help you with guidance, help you with your planning, help you see what he wants you to do to get to your goal. So you want to say, Lord, I'm your sheep. I want to know your voice and the voice of the stranger. I will not follow. Sometimes you have to claim it, especially when you're starting out because of all those other voices. And then you're a little bit timid or scared. You're going to make a mistake. You're not sure if it's your soul that you're complaining, if it's fear. And so there's some great verses that I, you know, through the years, when verse says in ministry, it says that discernment comes with reason of use. That means the more you try to hear God, the better you can get. You fall off the horse, you goof up, you don't get moved by that, you get back on and keep on going. And it's just a process and you keep on doing it and you get better. One of my favorite verses is a blessed verse. John sixteen thirteen. You know, if you look at the book of John, that's when he is the word. He is the word made flesh, all the mysterious parts about the Lord, that he would sit with the Father and he wouldn't say anything until the Father said it through him. He wouldn't do anything unless he saw in his spirit that his Father was doing it. He would do, you know, I'm not that great. I'm not, you know, that's why he's the Messiah. We can try our best, though. But one of the scriptures out of John sixteen thirteen says, when the spirit of truth shall come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not talk about himself, but he'll talk about things to come. Now, we, we're going to talk about that. But if you look at the end of that verse, he will talk about things to come. That could be the beginning of your guidance. That could be beginning of a word of the Lord for prophecy. That could be the start of the jump start of the spirit of prophecy, which I should, I believe should be victorious and smiling. Okay. Like Jesus. So when that's the key thing, when the spirit of truth shall come, he will guide you into all truth. All right, let's start with that. When the spirit of truth will come, how does the spirit of truth come? And what is the spirit of truth? You don't want error, do you? All right. When the spirit of truth comes, well, the spirit of truth is God's Holy Spirit, the creator, God's Holy Spirit. All right. Father, God, maker of heaven and earth, the Holy Spirit. When does it come to you? It comes. And this is a crucial part for teaching the spirit of prophecy, in my opinion. All right. When the spirit of truth shall come, it's after you invite Jesus into your heart and you make him your savior. You have to invite Jesus into your heart before you set out, or you're going to have the wrong spirit. You're going to go into error, maybe even worse. So you don't want to be damned. Let's put it that way. So you want to have the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit that will guide you into all truth. And then you'll have a relationship and it may take decades where you even get, you know, as far as you want to go, but you, the spirit of truth will come and guide you into all truth. And so all you have to do is invite Jesus in your Lord and Savior, and he'll give you a deposit of the Holy Spirit, and you nurture it, you learn about it, you grow, you ask God to give you more, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or fill you with the, you know, the Holy Spirit, and speaking in tongues or not, and I do, and since age 20, and it's been a great, great gift, but nothing that took me over, and it's very quiet and very practical. So then the Spirit of truth has come, he can guide you into all truth, and you say, Lord, 
let's say you come to a roadblock, something's messed up, you can't figure out a way around it or what uh, what the future is, what you need to know from the Lord, your miracle or whatever. So what you just say, Lord, you're here and Lord, I need you to speak to me, guide me into all truth. Guide me into the way that I can't figure out how to get there. Guide me into all truth so I don't make a mistake. So I don't get off. So don't get into error. And that can go for teaching where you're going to go to be fed and what you're listening to as well. So the idea is that God's sheep are unruly at times. God's sheep can be a little stubborn. God's sheep could be, you know, they just want to lie around the hot sun and eat. You know what I mean? (laughs) So we're all a bit of a sheep. But the thing about the good shepherd, that he's the good shepherd, he gives life to his sheep. The sheep know his voice, and a voice of the stranger they will not follow. So if somebody teaching you wrong stuff, or you feel uneasy, or you got the wrong advice, you're not feeling it's the right word, just claim that, the Lord, your sheep will know your voice, and the voice of the stranger they will not follow. The stranger will get you off into error confusion, demonic stuff, or whatever. And I've been doing this all my life, really have. Um, the idea, it's been a good a good witness to me, the Lord has done it like this. I, had, I didn't come from strange Christians. I didn't come from, I didn't come from uh, charismatics, tongue talkers. All I came from was Baptists and Presbyterians who really knew the Lord and really prayed for guidance, and they were like, led like this. That's all. So by the time the Holy Spirit moves came and I got involved with that, the Lord led me there, it was nothing that new except for praying in the Spirit and, and, you know, just enjoying the worship, mainly the worship. So the idea, God is good and he can do that where you are, right where you don't have to go anywhere. That's so wonderful. Holy Spirit is there. My sheep will know my voice and the voice of the stranger they will not follow. When you get into different teachings where they teach about moving in the gifts and the Holy Spirit and getting in the river of God or you get in the worship and a lot of fun stuff, there are things that are an undercurrent. And that's the thing I found out the hard way. And there is such a thing as calling controlling shepherding. I call it, well, Western European Levitical patriarchism. And even though I've taught a lot, you know, when you're in all these different moves, that's why it's so helpful to know doctrine and know what you're, what's really right or wrong. Because when you're immersed in a big group and you haven't been around, then you might be caught by surprise like I was. I didn't know that all this good stuff with Holy Spirit prophecy could have an undercurrent of control. So when I teach on the Good Shepherd and in our ministry, we're not well. We don't want to be well because there is an element of spooky in it and an element of spying and you know keeping those watching everybody's business and that levitical patriarchism is really legalistic a lot of it and it judges so be careful not to be that way though you have to be discerning instead of accusing assess and evaluate nothing wrong with assessing somebody might be up to no good but it's when you don't know them you refuse to talk and they refuse to talk to you that you know that something is really off. So my sheep shall know my voice and the voice of the good shepherd they will not follow. So a good shepherd lets the sheep have a little freedom. 
the good shepherd doesn't own them in the fact that they're just going to keep watch on every move and they can't do anything to think for themselves. So the good shepherd is not a controller. That's what we want to know. The good shepherd Jesus doesn't own the sheep like some slave master, you know. There are other scriptures in the Bible you can find about the shepherd. One of them says in Jeremiah, I believe, 25, something like that. It says God will take, is going to give, will give his people good shepherds. That means pastors who watch over them. That will not be that wrong kind of pastor or shepherd. Right now, the word shepherd, uh, it's had such bad connotations to myself because of the shepherding control or whatever that abuse of power is at LP, that it's so positive to think on Jesus Christ, the good shepherd who gives life to his sheep, who's not a micromanager, he's not sin spooky conscious, and he's actually has fun. When I thought of all the things that go on under the name of Christ following in ministry about prophecy, not a soul that I know of has talked about Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. This is so crucial for my teaching and my sake. The positive prophet, Jesus Christ. All right. No prophet knows it all. I don't. Only Christ does. So we can look about Christ, who, you know, knows it all. Christ does. And we can follow his example of a New Testament, non-critical, but a thinking prophet. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, that in the former days, that's the Old Testament, in the former days, God spoke to his leaders through diverse manners, through his prophets. Back there in the old days, you can read about all the prophets, Ezekiel, Elijah, and Daniel, and you know all the different minor and major prophets. And you'll find out that only a few prophets could hear the word of the Lord, because nobody can invite Jesus into their heart back then. It was the law, it was the temple, and so that God had a few select prophets that were to give the word of the Lord to his leaders for them. And then you can understand why a lot of people now confuse the New Testament prophet with the old one and act craggy or mean. <laughs> because the old stereotype of the finger-pointing prophet is in our minds from TV and lore, and also it was more craggy <laughs> back then. <laughs> When I was little, I didn't know what I was going to be. And I used to love adventure. I used to love pirate books. And I didn't like doll babies. I like pirate books and teddy bears. And so I loved reading the Elijah story and Elisha and the axe head floating and all the supernatural things. I didn't know that would be, you know, I'd be a prophet type person. But I thought, it just always fascinated me. So I have studied them. And I know Jeremiah was, you know, too scared at first. And God said, don't be moved. You know, you're not too young to be a prophet. You'll be called by the Lord, Jeremiah 1 and 2. And don't be afraid of their faces. And that one comes in handy. But there's a lot of packaging today in ministry about people who have not understood that Christ is the New Testament witness of a prophet. So a lot of good people are modeling the prophet a lot of ways, and a lot of them are really good. A lot of them are true. And then you have Hollywood and people just making money and, 
you know, prostituting the gift. So we don't want that. Mine is to be natural. Don't scare them. Don't spook them out. Just be yourself. Do the word of the Lord. Move on. Let the Lord work on them. You know, that's me just trying to be low key. So Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. The Old Testament in the former days, verse 1, Hebrews 1, 1. In the old days, God spoke to the prophets, through the prophets, to his people in diverse manners, signs and wonders and all that. So in the New Testament, verse 2, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, it says, In these days, which is New Testament Christian times, God speaks through his son, Jesus Christ, as the prophet. And I think, wow, that is such a great, healthy level. That is so positive because I always picture Jesus as a bit of a humorist. I picture him as very respectful to everybody, males and females, as playing with the children, laughing, being respectful to his mother, taking time off to just be hang out with the disciples or friends. I really felt like he was a, a down-to-earth, approachable, mellow kind of guy, kind of savior. <laughs> And so when I think of Jesus Christ representing the office of prophet, to me, it's very natural. No staging, no, you know, he did signs and wonders because he was the Messiah. He was the Messiah of Acts 2, Acts 11, 2 and 3. He had all of God's wonder working powers in the book of Acts in him. And he had all the healings and miracles. We know that. But I think as the office prophet, we think of the oracle giving the word of the Lord. Well, he could teach children. He could teach grownups. And I think Acts 10.38 for Jesus. Jesus went about doing good, healing all those that were oppressed by the devil, for the Lord was with him. So the key thing is that Messiah Christ, the Savior of the world, the global planet trailblazer, not famous, went about and did good. He didn't sit there brooding and holy in his, you know, aura his anointing. Instead, he was led by the Spirit, and he actually fellowshiped and related. And he related to males and females. He related to all colors, and he related if they were sin-sick, poor, wealthy, haughty, because he was an equal opportunity, real respecting, and real sent Savior. And I believe being sent is the key. So Jesus went about, Acts 10, 38, as a prophet. Jesus went about doing good, healing all those that were oppressed were the devil. So he interacted and related and did signs and wonders when the Lord led him in that fashion. And the Lord was with him, so he accompanied him with signs and wonders. He accompanied him with Book of Acts things. When I think of Christ and the spirit of prophecy in Revelation 19.10, it says that in 19.10, it says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So I'd like to know what about Jesus. How did he speak? Well, he spoke to the multitudes, the Beatitudes, the children, his mother, the sin-laden person, the roving demoniac in the garden. He spoke to his disciples. He trained by the Sea of Galilee on the shore. He did all these wonder-working things. He talked and spoke in a demeanor of healthiness, of respect, of a pioneering leader who was not an accuser, a dominator, a, a possessive slave owner. 
he was not a discriminatory even in the time when females had been filled with lust devils he wasn't scared to talk to him because he had no lust in him and he was also knew that he delivered them he respected them equally how did jesus talk to his mother that's a key with prophets and with all ministry christian ministry right now all right there is a ability to decide about christ how he acted and how he respected and that he was not back under the law about males or females or anything else he wasn't a legalist if you just get out the bible and read matthew mark luke and john the gospels not the gossips not the you know the gospels talk about jesus in his relationships of matthew mark luke and john when he was alive on earth personal life in ministry with his mother mary around town so the best way to defrag and declog a lot of this false teaching that's out there right now including all this stuff about accusing people and demons and intercessory stuff that people are seeing witches they never talk to them false teaching then you got to go back to what's pure what's easy what's simple what's not satanic sounding it is matthew mark luke and john and just read jesus assess jesus through the eyes of every single relationship how he acted and how he reacted and that is what i call in our ministry my ministry's abiding relationship theology jesus went about doing good healing all that were oppressed he was portable holy spirit's portable and then when we look at the teaching of his demeanor his respect to me it reminds me of his half-brother james's writing the pastor overseer of the book of the excuse me church of jerusalem james his half-brother wrote to me i think it's so amazing because i've been to jerusalem downtown in the old quarter that is a hotbed of spiritual activity and i think if the pastor of jerusalem james was the overseer of that area with all the all the thousands of warfare going on there all the multi-religions and all the things controversies and he writes this very tidy and very calm book about the tongue and i think it's so amazing so in that book when you read it reads about wisdom and teaching and then who can tame the tongue to me that it's not a funny that the tiniest member in every church could be the worst troublemaker. You know why? Because he said, "Who the tiniest member is your tongue. <laughs> the tiniest member is an old lady or a young lady or a big man or a small man or a little, you know, rumor monger can mess up the whole thing. Anyway, so James talks about the wisdom that represents coming from above. And that's our hallmark for relationship theology and trying to get along under pressure with family ministry business and it will take god the holy spirit inside to be your helper to convict you and also give you power patience of self-control one of the fruits of the spirit self-government so james three seventeen says and this is a litmus test for the voices to see if it's the voice of the good shepherd a good teacher a good advice a good warning voice is it fear or is it the wisdom from above the wisdom from above is the holy spirit 
who will guide you into things that will come. All these things tie together. John 16, 13. So the wisdom from above, not the pit, is described like this. It's a test for voices, for your actions with somebody else, a relationship trial, how you're going to act, how they're going to act. It's a test for the person you think, you really think is a demon-possessed demoniac coming to infiltrate your big ministry. Don't accuse them. Don't be rude to them respect them and assess them by James 3.17 and assess yourself by James 3.17. Here goes. What is James 3.17 fruit? The wisdom from above that God approves. The E-O-R-R equal opportunity wisdom from above that God approves. I approve. You'll approve. It's pure, peaceable, easily entreated what is easily entreated it won't have to argue to get its way prove its point it won't need to win it won't be right won't be stubborn it'll dialogue and negotiate it will try to keep and preserve a relationship in family and ministry all right so the wisdom from above is first of all pure no secret agendas no hidden motives it's peaceable it's not fighting jezebel speaking gossiping you know, not rumoring that somebody is a Jezebel. It's peaceable, pure, peaceable, easily entreated, full of mercy and good fruit. What is the mercy? You forgive them. You forgive them again. You do your best to do your share of what's right to keep the relationship going. Your heart is pure. All right, so then you have the fruits. It's full of good fruits. What are the fruits? It's Galatians 5, 22, 23, Apostle Paul. It's the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, meekness, and self-control. Self-government, the root of all government, authority, teaching, and in real life, any kind of teaching starts with the person and persons and fellowship each having, practicing godly self-control. That is my authority for my government I'm Galatians 1, 1 and 2, but I'm also, when people come, the criteria is not to be, when not over them, I am the head, so there's a chain of command, but I'm saying I'm not, they're co, I view them as co-laborers, peers, until proven otherwise, because of all this. That doesn't mean you don't have people account, you know, that are helping you, that do watch out, and think, you know, there is somebody that looks a little creepy, or spooky, or dangerous, that's not wrong, it's when you are too hyper and you're prone to gossip and you're never prone to ever relate to anybody but just brand them accuse them and then tell your network in florida pennsylvania wherever it is that's why lots stay home that's the friendly fire fellowship from such turn away second timothy three three one through five is your passport out <laughs> so but we want the wisdom that comes from above we want a fellowship we want unity that's the main thing so the wisdom from the above is, first of all, pure, peaceable, easily entreated, full of mercy and good fruit without partiality. Just think, get your husband to do it, your wife to do it. When there's pressure, they've both agreed to live in, with the discipline of James 3.17. They're going to act pure, peaceable, easily entreated, won't be stubborn, and with good fruits. I'll save many of marriage, many of fellowship. Teach that.
So it's without, it's pure, peaceable, easily entreated, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy, uh, excuse me, without partialities first. That means they're not biased, bigoted, gender biased, age biased. Uh, they are respectful equally to matter how weird they look or how kind they look or how big fancy they are and how no money they have. They're equal because they are surely like Jesus, Christ-like. It's a family, not a competition. So there is no typecasting, no bias, and no caste system. Big I, little you, you know, showbids and big I and celebrity and Roman patricianism is one of my, it is false teaching. It keeps community from being fragrant because it's big eyes and people are looking, am I in the big eyes? Let me work my way and fake it till I make it. It, it breeds charlatanism. Okay. So the idea is to have everyone equal everyone equal and train on it from the head person down to the lowest visitor you know the new visitor and anybody between then you teach there is such a thing as the head person and there's the office and there's due respect and then there is chain of command but it's none of this clubby big eye so you know all that stuff highfalutin which is again paul was embarrassed by it don't say I'm for famous bishop so-and-so or big Apollos or masters, master chief potentate Paul. Just say you're for Jesus. That's what he says. And he says that and warns and rebukes the Corinthians, the fleshly church, the carnal church, in 1 Corinthians 1 and 3. I feel like we're really needing this to defrag all this infestation of false teaching through the last 25 TV media years or more because we got to get it ready to go out and enjoy and also make it positive and also be really respectful to people and be glad they're there. You know, a lot of people, I mean, I'm confused right now. Are we really supposed to go? Do they really want me or not? I can't tell because they advertise come to Jesus house, come fellowship with the saints. We've got a ministry and you show up and it's like, you're the scum. You are the off scouring of the world. <laughs> but you know what? I am. I don't care. <laughs> an apostle. I'm like an apostle, like Paul. God's given me a work of the office of the apostle. And it's not celebrity. It is low key servant leader, chief apostle. That means you teach a lot. And Paul Paul said, I'm just, all the apostles are off scouring of the world. Nobody wanted them. Nobody wanted them. They just thought they were dung. And I thought, that's how I feel. But do I feel bad about that? No. And who does that? Only celebrity ministries do that. No, more Baptists don't do this. Normal people where I go, they like me. I mean, they're my friends. People like me. Black people always do it. But, but, only and it's never been a black celebrity that has done it in their ministry it has never been a black ministry because i've been in some but let's just say this all tone it down let's just tone it down let's get real let's get rid of all this funny stuff and get some fun back into it some e-o-r-r -R, fellowshipping with the saints merry hearts that do as good as a medicine one more thing about jesus christ the prophet Jesus Christ, the prophet, yes, we can say, you know, he was brooding like the Old Testament, but he was Jesus. Let's look at Jesus. Hebrews 1 and 2, 
follow Jesus. And let's look at Hebrews 1 and 9. Hebrews 1 and 9 says that Jesus Christ, the prophet, the office prophet, had the oil of joy and gladness above his fellows. That means somebody would come up and see Jesus with a crowd of people, his disciples, the people, and they'd notice they'd say, man, that Jesus, look at that anointing of joy on him. Joy. So years ago, I found that, and like, we have pretty, my family's been pretty merry, we have pretty much happy camper basics. We can be serious, but, you know, we don't take ourselves, we try not to take ourselves or our offices with too serious, self-seriously. So, it really relates to me that I love that anointing. I would love to have the oil of joy and gladness above my fellows. You know, that anybody can have that. So it says there's a qualifier, which I know. It says Jesus Christ had the oil of joy and gladness above his fellows. His countenance reflected the Father's joy. Merry heart. It says because, here are the two becauses why Jesus had it. It said Jesus hated iniquity and he loved what was righteous as a minister. He hated iniquity. He didn't hate people who were in iniquity. He hated what sin condition did to people. It hurt them. It sent them to hell. It made them depraved and it hurt their, you know, little kids, but they were beaten and all these things. So he hated iniquity. He hated the sin condition so much that he laid down his life and suffered on the cross so that we wouldn't have to suffer in heaven and he could take our sins for us, our bad temper, our ability to, you know, to draw negative things in that we can't get over it. He took all these impossible hard things upon himself and that's why he came. So he went and did things for us so that now we don't have to make fellowshipping so hard on people when they want to come. We can make it positive and healthy. And there are times when you have to get, you know, sober and stern maybe, but it should be basically, the, you know, Hebrews 10.25 without a lot of extra added human synthetic added ingredients, difficult ingredients, organic. We want organic now, more organic Bible, New Testament. So Jesus had said his condition, one, he hated iniquity. He hated any kind of evil. And if he were, you know, like he would hate evil that he did, if he did it, he, Jesus was sinless. But a person today that wants to do that would say, Lord, if there's any sin, if I have any unforgiveness, if I have any self-pity, if I have any secret sin or things that I haven't, you've told me not to do that I'm still doing, Lord, I want you to, I would hate, not me. Don't hate yourself. You hate the fact it is blocking you somehow from loving the Lord, but also growing into the next call in your life. It may be a thing that causes you to have temper tantrums and hurt your children too. Things that bad, but you don't hurt you. You say, I'm willing to be accountable to ask you to heal me, forgive me, get counsel, even medicine. If that's what it takes, don't be shy. Get medicine. If you have to just don't hurt your children or hate anybody. You know what I mean? do it's right the second part was jesus christ the prophet it says he loved what was good he loved what was righteous so he wasn't self-righteous he wasn't elite super spiritual but he loved what was righteous because it pleased his father and he had a guilt-free conscience so he enjoyed that he celebrated what was good he celebrated what was life 
life more abundantly, yet he didn't compromise. He didn't accuse anybody, but he was just down to earth. And to me, if I look at Jesus, I think of Jesus going about doing good, healing all those that were oppressed by the devil, and the Lord was with him, and I think of him laughing with the children. That's what I think of Jesus. I see him out there on the, you know, walking around the dusty area <laughs> with the little hills, and I think of him just being real, and people would walk up to him, and he wouldn't check his watch to see if he was busy to his next appointment. He wasn't a canned, canned Christian. He didn't have it down. He just sort of let the Lord lead him how to do it naturally, and then he walked it out. And even the little children who were dirty, they'd played in the mud. They came over to Jesus with this freshly ironed toga. And Jesus said, come on over, kids. Let's, you know, and he would chat with them. I, that's how I think Christ following is. This is Tavo DRC. I gotta go. The Lord is good. Let's get this E-O-R-R -R out. Equal opportunity, real respect for the office of every human made in God's image. And let's teach it and train it and respect people, older, young, male, or female, equally, and do it for the sake of the Father and the office of the Christ. God bless you. Be with you. This is Tevo DRC signing off for now. Bye-bye.